From the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, presented by a Cloud Guru, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and uh, I was going to say welcome back to the podcast, but this one's actually a little different um, because uh, in continuing our theme of kind of crossover podcasts, uh, this one's a crossover. So this is Aaron from the Cloudcast, if you don't know me, and my co-host this week, I'll let him introduce and and introduce his podcast as well. Go ahead, Tyler. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, Yes, Tyler Britton from uh, the PodCTL podcast, where we uh, cover the Kubernetes community. Yeah. And so what's going on here is there's, there's kind of a, a, some common themes here and some things that have been going on. So, so for the Cloudcast, the show that's releasing this week, it's been a, you know, kind of a bunch of firsts and a bunch of crossover overs that have been going on lately. So the show that will publish this week actually has two separate guests from the past who then left their companies got together at the same company, and we now recorded a show with both of them. Um, and we're doing a lot of the same, where we're kind of mixing and mashing everything together here. And so Brian was not able to make it uh, this week, but he's actually co-host on both of these podcasts. So we, And this is a containers and container security is what we're going to talk about and, and container vulnerability today. So we wanted to kind of get this together and, and kind of put our heads together and, and have a really great guest this week. We, this week we have Liz Rice, Technology Evangelist at Aqua Security. Liz, how are you doing today? I'm really well. Thank you. And thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. And so welcome to the show. So tell us real real quick a little bit about your background and, and the type of things you're you're working on these days. Yeah. So uh, my background is, is engineering. Uh, I spent a lot of my early career writing kind of network protocol stacks, uh, spent a little bit of time Away from that, more in a kind of product management role, uh, got back into engineering, got back into just around the same time as containers were starting to to take off. I, I, I was I was actually at the tail end of a, of a startup that was failing. And a really good friend and ex-colleague said, hey, you should get into this containers thing. It's really interesting. Um, and we also co-founded a, a startup that you know ran out of money as these things do but I learned a ton about containers doing that and uh, kind of knew that this was an area that I was really interested in and then about a year ago I met the team from Aqua Security and um, joined, joined the team and um, so since then I guess I've been focusing quite a lot on the security aspects of containers. But in, in my job, I'm really lucky because I get to kind of explore bits of technology that I think are interesting. And quite often, they're related to security. It's usually container related. Um, but I really have the best fun time kind of writing and talking about bits of tech that I think are exciting. And speaking of talking, and this is this is what, what actually uh, got us connected together. So the good folks over at O'Reilly um, put us in touch with you because we, we've been a good uh, partner with O'Reilly for a number of years now. And, and we have O'Reilly conference season coming up. We have Velocity coming up. We have Oscon coming up. And and just so you know, the, the, the code's in the show notes, but there is a promo code, CLOUD. Uh, if you use promo code CLOUD for registration of those conferences, you actually get a 20% discount and you will be speaking there. 
Um, and, and so tell us a little bit about, about that as well. I, you, I know you've spoken in the past and is it changed from, from the year previous speaking with O'Reilly, uh, to this time? Um, well, I'm doing a new talk, so I, you know, it'll, it'll be a little bit different and it was always going to be slightly different. I, I like the O'Reilly conferences and, and I've done a bit of, uh, you know, content for them on the Safari platform as well. So, uh, they're, they're good folks and I think they provide a huge amount of educational content. It's, it's great. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to go. And it's kind of fun because Velocity is the same week as DockerCon as well. So there's going to be a ton of container folks in the valley all at the same time. Yeah, so spe- speaking of Docker, uh, we can kind of let's, – let's start there, you know, kind of backing up to, you know, you know listeners of, of both podcasts know, you know, a good little bit about containers uh, and the initial attraction to to stuff like docker was oh wow really cool i can i can write a docker file and then it has all my my stuff in it and it builds it into this container and i'm all set i can just say you know from trusty and then you know put my stuff in here and and i'm good to go um how does you know how do vulnerabilities get kind of into that process how do you you know how does a container vulnerability sort of surface so there's a few different sort of angles to this I, I mean one is most people are building their container images based on some you know on top of some other image they, they've got a from line you, you can have from scratch and you can build your you know just put your standalone executable like a like a go program that's you know, but that's a pretty minority um, case most people have got dependencies in those uh, container images and as soon as you have dependencies, you have the possibility of vulnerabilities. I mean, you could have vulnerabilities in your own application code as well, but uh, uh, the the dependencies are, are kind of where a lot of the exploits get found. And uh, one of the things you want to do is make sure that the image you're building from doesn't contain high severity vulnerabilities and uh, this is where image scanning comes in and of course these vulnerabilities get found over time you know the things like uh when uh i think it was heartbleed was the one that was um in code that hadn't actually been modified for a very long time you know vulnerabilities get discovered by research teams sometimes in some really old code so um, you want to be scanning these images on a regular basis. You know, at any time, a new vulnerability could be found. It could turn out to be really serious. And you want to be alerted to that and um, essentially take patches or update those libraries, update the, uh, the base image to make sure that you've got the, the patch and you're not running with those vulnerabilities. So, so because because it's basically you know it's Linux, right? Like whatever you're starting with there, these are generally Linux or um, you know or code vulnerabilities or things like that. So it's it's things like you mentioned Heartbleed, which affected you know a, a ton of systems. Where kind of you know scanning there, there's two two pieces, right? You're, the thing you're looking at and then the thing you're comparing it to. Where how how are those um, lists or or what have you put together? How you decide what you're scanning in a container? Yeah, so uh, typically what you're going to do is you're going to look at the package manager for that particular distribution 
And this is where things get sort of slightly um, uh, complex because different distributions have different package managers and those package managers may treat patching in different ways. Um, some uh, distributions will, like uh, Debian is a really good example of this, where they will tend to not um, update packages very frequently. They're, they're very much going for stability. So if a vulnerability gets found in some relatively older piece of code, they they might need to take a patch, but they're not necessarily going to take the full update. So maybe some arbitrary library, they've got version 3.0 and the newest version is 3.5. And they'd say, actually, I don't want to take 3.5. I just want to back apply the patch to 3.0. Now, this kind of complicates the vulnerability detection because the way people kind of report or, or sort of know about vulnerabilities, there's this thing called the National Vulnerability Database, and it maps vulnerabilities to versions of software packages. And it might say, that 3.0 version has this terrible vulnerability, but well, not necessarily. If you've got the version that's been patched by Debian, and but the, the the vulnerability database, the NVD, doesn't know about the different patches that you get from these different distributions. So while at one level, finding out what vulnerabilities are in which different libraries seems like it should be a case of just looking them up in the National Vulnerability Database, in reality, you also want to have some knowledge of the distribution and how the distribution is handling these different vulnerabilities. So you're kind of combining information from these different sources. So does, does that lead to, it sounds like that could lead to a good bit of false positives as well with the scanning. That's exactly right. And that's where the, the kind of the danger lies, right? The kind of uh, the boy who cries wolf, you know, if you've got Ton, your, if your image scanning process tells you you have tons of vulnerabilities and then you look into it and you discover, oh, no, actually, we don't have tons of vulnerabilities, then you might not really pay attention when something that is actually serious gets flagged. Um, so that's kind of where different vulnerability scanners can um, differentiate themselves by um, trying to eliminate false positives. And, and it almost seems like there's... There's almost two big variables when it comes to this. There's what you scan, which we've been talking about, but there's also probably where you scan. Like, is it up to CI/CD system, the host OS, the registry? Like, there's all these different areas it could reside. And, and so is there a general hierarchy or, or rule or is it the ultimate of, you know, answer of it depends or is it the, <laughs> the, or the ultimate answer of yes everywhere? <laughs> Tell us a little yeah, bit about it, that. It's kind of yes everywhere. Yeah. Um, so for enterprise customers, which is what we primarily deal with at Aqua, um, a lot of the time they're going to be running their own private registry. They might not necessarily want to trust pulling images from a public registry um, directly into their production system. So um, they will want to do scanning typically as part of their CI CD system. You know, you build your image and then before you push it into the registry, you scan it. Um, and there are a few different sort of options. You could scan after the registry. You might, you, you want to continually scan uh, 
the images that you are running in production. Um, maybe you want to scan all the images in your registry because of this issue of new vulnerabilities being found in existing code. Um, but yeah, typically hooked into the CI/CD system is is the main place where we see it being done. Is that where does is that kind of how container signing can come into? So if you if you scanned a, a particular image and then you can kind of know where that exact image is running, um, you know. So so hey, we found this image in our registry. There's a new vulnerability, and you know what this image has it. Uh, let's let's see where we're running that. Yeah, right. So. Knowing which images are running where is one side of that. Um, and again, there are tools like Aqua that can help you with that. And then there's also the signing, you know, knowing that the image that you um, are looking at really is the image you think it is, uh, that, you know, you haven't had some kind of man in the middle attack that's inserted an image that is not the image that you intended to run. Um, uh, which can happen. So that's where image signing comes in and things like the update framework, uh, doing some really good work there on being able to, to sort of establish provenance of your image. So, yeah, it's kind of, it, there's a lot of different pieces to this, a lot of moving parts. And, you know, depending on your, um, you know, your application, your appetite for risk, you might need more or fewer of these things. You know, if you're talking about a personal WordPress site, you can probably just pull the image from Docker Hub and, and that's fine. Um, but if you're a, a bank, you're probably more leaning towards having signed images and having your own registry and having your own image scanning, you know, sort of enterprise level into, uh, image scanning baked into that CICD process. And you may even also be looking at... Um, Image policies, a lot of enterprises have policies around what those base images are allowed to be. So they're kind of uh, minimizing the set of like different options, like different, they're not having like different developers all coming up with different sets of vulnerabilities in their base images. They're all running from a common one. And yeah, and so how does it? So if I, I if I flip it on its head for a second, and, and not just go for vulnerabilities, what about the uh, the compliance aspect of all of this? Because you, when you bring that bring that up, it, I immediately go to okay, great, everyone should be doing this, but how do we verify they are mm. <laughs> doing this? <laughs> yeah. How do you verify after the fact as well? Yeah, some of the. Um, requirements around logging i think here are, are you know sort of having an audit trail for everything that you've pulled and being able to sort of go back and, and look at the the trail of how any particular image got into your deployment is is really important for a lot of compliance reasons and is there a um do you also then get a uh, a problem of a, a signal signal to noise ratio of uh, you're you're logging all of these things but you know again the, the more you break microservices down and the more containers you have, the more logging you have, the more ingestion you have, and it becomes harder and harder to find the needle in the haystack. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and so, so how do you, you know, how do you deal with that or what is maybe some, some, uh, you know, guides for folks out there of, okay, I'm starting to think about this and I want to put this framework in place, but then how do I know it's working or how do I trace things back to their root? Yeah, so I think this is an area that, um, you know, work is still being done. Um, 
so for example if we if we look at something a bit more open source um things like grapheus which are looking at um being able to store metadata about software artifacts in general not just um container images um but they're really looking at um, an API, a sort of standardized API for being able to store this kind of uh, history of what's been updated uh, when and by whom. Um, so an, at, at that level, I think there's a lot of work that is continuing to go on in the open source world to make that easier. Um, the The other answer to that is, you know, logs go into your enterprise seam system your logging system and it's the same problem as any other kind of logging filtering issue that uh, you know yeah you, you've got to be able to search through your logs find the interesting ones uh dig out the things that are relevant for the particular forensics you're looking for um and that would be often handled by the the logging system or the seam system so, so that that brings kind of a an interesting angle. Um, is you know everything we've been talking about, you know, um, distributions and package management stuff. It's all you know Linux centric, Linux containers. That's pretty much what what people are doing. Uh, we've had a number of conversations, uh, at least on our podcast, with uh, some people from Microsoft and just about uh, Windows containers in in, in general. Uh, have you seen anything kind of on that front starting to happen with Windows container vulnerabilities? How are they you know figuring out how they're going to do the same sort of process they use, how they scan it. Um, I would think on one hand it would be easier because it's it's not all these different Linux distributions, it's one OS, uh, but at the same time the tools I'm sure aren't anywhere near as mature. Yeah, I mean absolutely it's it's something that at Aqua we see you know, a lot of demand for. There are a ton of people who have um, you know, a lot of developers in you know, .NET say for example and, and they want to take advantage of containers so um, ensuring that they're not introducing vulnerabilities is is just as important for them um personally i am not as expert in windows as as i am in linux um so you could very easily ask me a question that i won't be able to, to answer <laughs> but um, but um yeah the i mean the principle of of windows container is is very similar to the principle of a linux container so uh, uh it's a, it's the same kind of issue and yeah we we support um, Windows container scanning, so you know it works. You can apply the same kind of principles, and yeah, Microsoft are obviously um, fully behind the the move to containerization, and uh, you know we Liz, work with. <laughs> let me let me just let me just kind of follow up with that though, and just a kind of a twofold question. Um, for, first off, uh, you know, from a trends standpoint. Um, how much adoption are you seeing in the Windows space versus Linux space as far as growth? Is it that the, the Windows space, you're seeing decently dramatic growth and demand for more features and, and more robust solutions there? Um, or is it still somewhat niche is my first question. And then I'll go on to the second one in a, after that. I think it would be fair to say that the market is more um, evolved in the Linux world. And even there, you know, there are, there's still a huge long tail of um, enterprises who are 
just starting to embrace containers and just starting to explore how they're going to handle all these um, security aspects of, of containers. Um, and I think it would be fair to say that the Windows container market is, you know, some steps behind where, where the Linux world is. Um, but, you know, there's a huge installed base of, of Windows users, Windows enterprises, Windows, you know, based operations and uh, and they're not going to they're not going to move to linux they, they want windows container support and i'm i'm sure that if you know if you spoke to microsoft they would be fully embracing the idea of uh windows containers taking off and and really this is my, the second part of my question is that's that's uh, I, what i what i was hoping you would say um so <laughs> so this is actually a question for both you and tyler is so okay let's let's say there is a huge demand that is out there and let's also say that the that we're you know that space is slightly behind if you will what do you think needs to happen is it is it additional tools that aren't there today is it um, additional education of the developers and DevOps folks that are out there. Like, what are the next steps that you think have to happen in that space to increase adoption? That's a difficult question. And I think a big part of that is that it is largely under sort of Microsoft's control because, you know, Windows is not. The, the kind of open operating system that Linux is. So they get to kind of define and, and determine the roadmap, but they also don't have the benefit of an entire globe's worth of, of developers trying to push the push things forward, you know, for them in, in the open source world. Uh, you know, it's a Microsoft question. That. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Yeah, I they think they could do everything, right? <laughs> they have an amazing team, so uh, you know they're in the right place to do it. Yeah, and I, I think they've made some of the moves we've seen in the last year or two with some of the acquisitions, like Days, and some of the people they've hired, like uh, Brendan Burns coming in from from Google from the Kubernetes team. So I think, uh, and even we saw recently in the last. Um, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, a reorg inside Microsoft and how kind of the operating system group is set up. I think I think there there there's two pieces to it, right? There's the operating system side where, like, like you said, the the Linux fundamentals for containers have been there for way longer. Um, so those that's the stuff that Microsoft's kind of working pretty hard at, and you even see with Server 2016 that that stuff's there. Uh, and then the next piece is you know kind of the the market's pretty much settled on Kubernetes as as the container orchestrator. So making sure Kubernetes can support Windows is really key. And that's, I believe, still, as we talked about in our 1.10 show, that it's still a beta as of now. But I, I expect, you know, once that's you know fully established where it's a, you know, kind of a stable offering people can get and, and more customers are on server 2016 and newer, uh, I think it'll really start to pick up because then you'll have, um, you know, the other tooling that's missing there can can really start to get some of it will be like, hey, well, we work with Kubernetes, so it doesn't matter that's on Windows. We work there, which we've seen with some of the stuff. And the other things can then really start to rapidly catch up because they have not just the, uh, you know, the, the frameworks they need from Microsoft, but then also the, the as, as Liz kind of pointed out, the, the, the ravenous install base waiting for it. Fair enough. Now that makes that makes sense. I, I really like that. Okay. So we're about at that time. So, so Liz, where can everyone find out more about you, find out more about Aqua Security, um, look up the upcoming uh, speaking engagements, etc.? 
Um, well, so Aqua Security is at aquasec.com, A-Q-U-A-S-E-C.com. Uh, I have my own site, lizrice.com, which I occasionally keep up to date with where I'll be speaking. Um, I'm, uh, it's going to be a busy Busy summer, I think, with with KubeCon and Velocity and DockerCon and and a few other interesting conferences coming up. So uh, if you're listening and you hear this, come and say, hi, I heard you speaking on that Cloudcast podcast. And uh, I will very much say hello. (laughs) Awesome. And and Tyler, for for those that uh, don't listen to yours, uh, why don't you uh, pimp your stuff real quick as well? (laughs) Yeah, check out uh, the Pod Pod CTL podcast where we kind of focus on all things uh, Kubernetes. Uh, So if you if you like catching up what's going on with the, you know, pretty focused on the container space. Uh, you know, check check us out, and then if you if you are a pod, if you're catching this on PodTTL uh, and looking to you know see some things broader uh, in the overall cloud uh, space, this is uh, this is where it's time to check out the Cloudcast. Yeah, and and so yeah, I'll finish it off and just say for those that haven't listened to the Cloudcast before, it's uh, at the Cloudcast Net on Twitter and the Cloudcast.net. Uh, and so for that, everyone, thank you very much for your time today. And on behalf of Brian, who wasn't able to make it this week, uh, thank you everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more podcasts, show notes, and everything social media. And visit acloud.guru for all your cloud training needs. <laughs>